You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. All right, Doug and Greg Stokes, Lanyap Podcast. Um, we had uh, CPI come out this week, or last maybe, and then the, the Fed had their discussions yesterday around raising rates or lack thereof. And for the first time in over a year, the Federal Reserve has decided to pause rates, um, which uh, I think was expected. And now the question mark is what's going to happen in July. Greg, let's. Uh, we've been talking about a lot about inflation this year, and, and let's uh, maybe summarize what the inflation data was this week and, and how the Federal Reserve reacted. And, and let's discuss that, that big component of inflation shelter and how that's impacting the numbers um, month over month. CPI data was 9% in June of 2022, year over year in the preceding 12 months. Now it's uh, 4%. So things have come down quite a bit. If you look at the internal data, this is from Charlie Bellello. Transport. This is from the most recent inflation print. Transportation was 10.2 percent um, year over year inflated. Food away from home, 8.3 percent. Shelter, which we'll talk about in a second, 8 percent. Electricity, 5.9 percent. Food at home, and so on and so on. The big detractors and the things that brought inflation down were fuel oil at 37%, negative 37%. So if you guys remember the price of gas, I remember seeing this in the paper, but the price of gasoline in California was like five or $6 a gallon. That's come down precipitously. Fuel oil's down 37%. Um, other remember, Nat, remember Nat Gas and that, how it went parabolic last summer because of the storage issues in Europe and um, the upcoming winter and, and how Basically, Europe was going to freeze as a result of the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. And so the natural gas market was completely out of whack and pushed prices up. Um, I can't remember what it was. It was something like 500% or something like that. Yeah, it was but, crazy. Um, anyway, it's, it's that was only that was 10 months ago that we were talking about that. And, uh, and so here we are now, and the, the stock market's on a tear. Uh, tech stocks are up almost what thirty five percent or so year to date. Nasdaq, and so a um, whole lot can change in a very short period of time. And I think what we've been saying all year is that we we fully expected inflation to come down, and uh, and you know, in hindsight, it's twenty twenty. But really, what the market has been looking for so far this year is is for inflation to come down and for some sort of path to normalcy around rate hikes. And I think. Um, what the market basically front ran that starting in October of last year when it, when it bottomed until uh, today's the 15th of June. We've been on a somewhat upward trajectory with some minor hiccups along the way and someone called major with what happened in Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank and First Republic. But again, uh, the market sniffed all of this out. Um, inflation and interest rates were the story, and so long as, as there's normalization there, uh, the markets have been climbing that wall of worry. Yeah, they have been climbing that wall of worry, and, and it's been a really fantastic last couple of months to be invested in U.S. stocks, especially if you own some of the major blue chip large companies in the United States that have been driving the market, like Apple, Microsoft. Tesla has been on a on a recent tear. It was up 13 days in a row at one point. So there's some really interesting things happening in the markets. But you're right, the markets did sniff out 
this the fact that inflation is coming down. The, the government's reporting inflation at 4%, but we've referenced truflation several times in our um, podcast, which is more of a real-time indicator. Truflation thinks that inflation is more like in the low twos right now, so really close to what the Fed's target is. The Fed, would we had just listed off the, the items that they take into account, like, like when one of the biggest factors is shelter. And there's just no way that shelter is actually inflating at 8.3% year over year. Um, if you look at the actual real data, like... This is uh, this is U.S. new lease asking rents just rose twelve. Pardon me, two percent over the twelve months ending in May, down from the double digit increases a year ago. And this is from the CoStar Group. So the actual fundamental data versus like the the measurements that the Fed use in terms of coming up with their four percent figure, that that's some, somewhat flawed and it's also stale. So I, I think I would rely upon trueflation more in this instance. Trueflation, just for anecdotally. When inflation peaked at 9.1% in June of 2022, they measured inflation closer to 12%. So they're saying that things have come down a lot. Um, but so you know, you, know who didn't sniff, you know who didn't sniff this out? Uh, is, Who's that? Uh, is market strategists. So this is this is Charlie uh, Charlie Bellello from uh, this is this morning. He said uh, this was his initial chart was the S&P 500 is up 13.9% in the first 113 trading days of the new year. One of the best starts we've seen in recent history in the last 25 years, only 2019 and 2013 had a better start. Then he said, did the experts see this coming? No. And then he uh, references a Bloomberg article from the uh, beginning of the year in which uh, all market strategists had, uh, their expectations for returns for 2023, the average was a negative, uh, negative total return. Now, um, they may be right. They may be right, but uh, not looking like um, not looking like it's going to be right so far this year. So that's the that's really the that illustrates how markets are so difficult. You have people that their sole job and their sole point in professional existence is to try to prognosticate what's going to happen in the markets. And basically, everybody's been wrong so far. So, what? So, what holds? What? what what's? What does the future hold? It's nobody knows. We're the markets. We're technically in a new bull market. We're twenty percent off of the October lows. Uh, it seems like a lifetime ago, but that was only eight months ago. Um, things are looking uh, a little bit brighter now. Um, so the Fed paused, and usually, what that means. If you look at history, and this is the this is the Fed funds target rate upper bound um, when the Fed uh, leaves rates unchanged after three straight meetings of rate hikes, which we've had ten meetings or whatever when they've raised uh, rates. So we certain, certainly qualify at this instance. So the, the, historically, just so just for everybody's edification, the Fed when the Fed pauses, it usually is done hiking, which they the markets are still pricing in a potential one or two rate hikes after this pause. But usually it means that when they pause historically, it usually means they're done hiking. And it usually means that cuts follow shortly thereafter. Because essentially what the Fed is trying to do is be restrictive in their policy making and essentially slow down the economy. Usually they go too far and they need to cut. And so if history is any guide, that's going to happen in the, in the uh, near term. But if you listen to uh, Chairman Powell's press conference yesterday, he was indicating that there would likely not be any rate cuts in 2023, although he also said that they wouldn't be raising They don't rates. know anything. They don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> right. Know exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah no, the, the, just look at 2021. 
uh, where in, when inflation ran up to five and six percent and they didn't, they kept rates at zero. In 2022, they thought, I think they thought there would be three or four rate hikes and there ended up being what almost uh, how many rate hikes did we have last year? Uh, in like, terms of 25 basis point increases, it was like 12. Something like that it was tw- 25 uh, and 50. Look at that. Yeah, it was a lot. I mean, it, it, it was right. So you're right. They, they, they don't know anything. These, again, we talked about the market, the market prognosticators that their sole job is to analyze their corporate earnings, the earnings of the, the macro global environment, et cetera. And, and none of them predicted that we'd be, the S&P 500 would be up 12 or 13% or wherever we are at this point in time year to date. Um, and likewise, the Fed itself doesn't, they, they provide their insight to the market as far as what they expect. But the market, it's really interesting to see what the actual market prices in as far as what the, their expectations are for what the Fed is going to do. Because it's the, what the Fed says and what the market prices in is drastically different. And it illustrates that the collective humanity thinks that the Fed's most likely going to be cutting um, towards the end of the year. And the, the Fed funds rate is going to be a lot lower than it is right now in 2024, which would be more in line with what has happened historically. So again, we're hopefully we're, we've talked about this ad nauseum over the course of the last year and a half or so. Um, hopefully we're done with this whole Fed story. Their most likely uh, outcome of history as any guide is they're going to be cutting in the next six to 12 months, although they say that they're not going to, but the market certainly thinks that they are. But the, interestingly enough, the market has, also, has sniffed all of this out. Um, and and what inter, what's going to be the next sort of iteration to this bull market, if it's going to be sustainable, according to, to Jurian Timmer, who's we've talked about several times, who's the lead economist for Fidelity Investments, is that eventually for sustainable bull markets, you have to have more, more of an accommodative Fed stance. Um, they're certainly restrictive right now, um, and that would be the next sort of leg that would be the next sort of impetus for, for this bull market to, to continue to run. Yeah, I think we're at the stage. It's it's likely a, um, a volatile stage of this part of the cycle because um, it's very tricky for the Fed to that to basically pause and then cut. It makes them look stupid. And so uh, what the bias for for the Chairman Powell and other Federal Reserve Board um, members is to hold uh, hold firm with their policy, and what happens is restrictive policy begins to eat away at economic growth over time, and that they're too late to the game. They're they're playing catch up by the time they're starting to cut rates, and so um, a lot of this. Uh, of course, there's other dynamics at play other than the Federal Reserve, but uh, Urian's right. If you look at all prior bull markets, um, they're they're backed by accommodative monetary policy and. Uh, and so, if we have a period in which uh, the Fed is over restricted, I think that that's restrictive. Then I think that that's your your downside bias in the markets right now. And so, we'll see what they do the latter part of this year, uh, July being that first test case. But uh, but I agree. I think uh, you know, if they're if they're not nimble with uh, with being accommodative in a in light of economic weakness, if we're overly restrictive right now, then uh, then that risks sort of that deflationary bust that uh, is was essentially on the table at the beginning of this year, I think is still on the table now, although the market doesn't believe, um, just based upon prices, doesn't believe we're going to enter that territory. So, you know who's not bullish right now is uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert uh, Kiyosaki. 
he is of the opinion that we're in, about to approach a colossal bust. So what are your, I want to get your thoughts on that, on, on this. I remember particular. I, this is probably like five years ago. I was, uh, I was on my way to Baton Rouge and I was listening to a podcast that he was on. Um, and he was, he's, he was calling for, you know, put a hundred percent of your money in gold. I think he was also adding Bitcoin to that at the time, which probably would have been a good move, but he's been ever since I've, uh, that book is a great book, actually. I think, um, you know, I, I would recommend people to re- read it, but I don't, I wouldn't listen to a word he says, uh, in the, in the, in the last, f- at least five years since I've been listening to him and reading, uh, his headlines, he's been so doom and gloom and it's, uh, it's pretty ridiculous. I think he wanted gold, silver, and, uh, you know, as hard of a currency as you could get. So gold, silver, any other commodities. And then he added Bitcoin to that. Right. Um, so what he so. said was giant stock market crash coming October. Why treasury and the fed short T bills, gold, silver, Bitcoin, maybe may, may crash too. cash best bet and so on and so on. But this, this is interesting. This, this individual took all of his, his uh, doom and gloom calls for crashes, et cetera, and put it relative to the S and P 500. And he was calling for likewise for crashes when the S P 500 was at like a thousand, uh, 1200, 1500, et cetera. The S P 500 is at 4,500 now. Eventually he's, he's going to be right. I mean, the market does crash every now and again. Um, but he, the problem with these types of calls is that it gets a lot of news. He's got some sort of credibility because he has a book published, um, but the fact of the matter is, he's been wrong. It reminds me of those like it reminds me of those cult leaders that call for the end of the world at a certain time and a certain date, and they all like go out to a park or something like that to welcome the the uh, the you know Armageddon. Like yeah, yeah, and uh, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like it, it, the the time comes and goes, and then they go back to their book and they they tell the group that they misinterpreted everything and it's actually going to be this date in this time. Um, it's like the Nostradamus type of situation. And so, yeah, I think, uh, I, I imagine, uh, Kiyosaki, Kiyosaki is a little bit like that where, um, and same with like John Hussman and all these other, you know, uh, perma bears that have been wrong for the last 15 years. And, and we're calling for double dip res- uh, recessions in 2010 and 2011 and never came. And, uh, and now they're still pounding the table that we're on the verge of imminent collapse. And I, I would say that uh, when you got to take your L and move on at some point. And, um, and these guys just haven't, haven't been able to stomach that yet. Yeah, interesting. So shifting gears, uh, a couple of things I wanted to talk about, and this is going to relate to Tesla in a second. But this is the, from the uh, IEA, the International uh, Energy Association. Oil demand nears its peak. Right now, this year, oil, they're basically projecting that 2023 is going to be the, the largest growth year in oil for the, for the, basically for the rest of humanity. They're, right now, they're projecting grow, oil use is going to grow in 2023 between 2 and 3 million barrels uh, uh, a day. And then it's going to tail off and eventually, in, by the end of this uh, decade, uh, oil growth is going to, to go negative. Um, so I want to get your thoughts on that specifically, like the, from the perspective we, we see in our, our day-to-day lives, being the incorporation of more electric vehicles. If you look at the, the costs of like Tesla's, for example, they're, they're relatively inexpensive. You can buy like a, a Tesla model three for like $30,000. And I think the average car in the United States is like 40,000 nowadays. So it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. This, this sort of trend. Um, I, I want to get your thoughts, Doug, about 
this particular estimate in terms of the tapering of oil demand? And then also, just specifically from your subjective viewpoint, do you think that you'll ever be interested in an electric car? Um, and if so, when would that be? Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I would, would be at some point. I would never say never. I'm sort of a, a internal combustion engine uh, optimist uh, for longer than what's projected. And I think that if you look at all of the, let's just use oil in general, and you can expand that to petroleum, other use cases. But um, if you look at plastics, if you look at um, you know your phone, your clothing, everything, you know, your, your car, gasoline. I know. I, I was talking. I was talking to Sam about that. We saw some people protesting when we were in, in London a month ago. We saw people protesting oil, and I was like, they were wearing these like bright vests that were. There's yeah. definitely synthetic materials. Or, yeah. right? Exactly. I was like, you're wearing your their shoes that are based, definitely made with oil. If you're wearing just like a traditional tennis shoe, um, all that anything that has a that basically anything besides cotton, wool, et cetera, that people wear in terms of clothing is, is a synthetic from oil. Yeah. The other thing too, is like, what's powering the grid that where you electrify your, your car and, and, um, <laughs> right, and exactly. you know, improve the battery and charge it. And it's like, well, that's natural gas probably. And there's going to be other, um, either oil or coal or, you know, some other, maybe some renewables, but at some point it all comes back to fossil fuels um, because, you know, solar and wind is not going to be able to sustain and hydro is not going to be able to sustain the demand. It, there may be a lower demand for oil, but there's more and more demand for energy, especially as, um, poor countries become wealthier. And so, um, and, I just and don't nu buy no nuclear plants are being built anymore because they're too expensive. And there's, there's environmental concerns with that too, even though it's like the cleanest form of energy you can get. If yeah, you don't have I would say if, if we don't go nuclear, then, um, then I just don't have or like fusion or fission. Um, I don't, I don't have any sort of, uh, a bias to the downside on demand for energy, uh, decreasing. And if, if we're going to be anti nuclear, I don't, I don't see a bias for the downside for need for fossil fuels. And so, um, and I think that if there's a Warren Buffett quote and we got to pull it up, but basically why he's been buying Occidental petroleum so much, um, one of his shareholder letters, he talks about how, uh, at least for the next 50 years, he does not see a, a, uh, an issue with oil demand. And I think that that's probably the case. Um, now, does it mean if Tesla comes out with a, with a badass car that's, um, you know, that can go on one charge for, you know, th a thousand miles and charges very quickly, then I think that that's, uh, pretty interesting. Um, but also expand that to heavy machinery, to airlines needing jet fuel. I just don't, I don't see it as a... Right. There's no, you can't propel a, a jet engine on a battery. That's the issue. You're never, never going to be able to do that. Also, like, same thing goes if you, if you think they've, they've uh, come up with these, these boats in Europe that are, that run on these ferries that run on electricity and they, they run through the battery so quickly that they're essentially impractical because the amount of energy that you have to use to, to power a, like a, a boat is incredible. Um, and batteries just can't do that. I, I agree with you. I don't know if I would go fully electric on a car right now. Um, the issue is the charging component. And, and if you drive locally, it's fine. But if you think about driving, um, any additional, like any significant distance, you have to worry about charging along the way. 
Uh, I've rented a Tesla in the past and run into those issues. They were nice cars, but I, I agree with you. I need the technology to get a little bit better before I made the, the full leap. Yeah, um, I think ba- I think battery tech's getting better every year, and I think it's going to. It's one of those things where it's sort of an iPhone moment where you don't really understand how great it can be because you haven't experienced it before, anything like it. Um, I think that's probably the case with battery tech and and probably the case with AI too. Um, but, and so again, never say never, but as I look at beyond just, um, you know, personal automobiles, I just don't see battery tech getting that great that quickly to be able to, uh, improve upon internal combustion engines. And then beyond that, um, I, how are you going to power the grid? You have to, you have to use some energy is not de- decreasing. I guess the need, the need for energy is not decreasing. So maybe you shift oil from fueling uh, cars to fueling the energy grid. So with the segue from the Tesla issue is, is I found this interesting because this is, this is just sort of ironic to me, but Philip Morris, we talked about ESG scores, like companies obtain environmental, social, or governance, governance scores from third parties that rate their, their ESG internally, if they are contributing to the social good, et cetera. And then certain endowments or in other investment firms will invest based upon whether or not these firms have a good ESG score. Ironically enough, Tesla has a 37 out of 100 ESG score, while Philip Morris has an 84 out of 100 ESG score. Is that, uh, I want to get you, is that, is that, uh, <laughs> I wonder what Tesla was like, uh, 15 months ago before Elon started floating the idea of, of buying Twitter. And there, I wonder if their ESG score is very much governance related. And so there's, I mean, a, it's just crazy. There's probably right? one, there's one, there's one dominant political ideology amongst, uh, ESG scorers. And so I wonder if there's some, I'm sure there's, there's some sort of correlation there between, um, Elon's fall from grace amongst the, um, you know, one side of the political aisle and then his ESG score falling, uh, as a result of it. Right. Well, so this there's been, I think, some sort of a shift in it's in it's in the data away from this this explicit, um, like proponent huge proponent of ESG. It was a big deal, really big deal in 2020, 2021, 2022. and then it's really started to tail off. And that's that's uh, shown in the data for from uh, earnings calls in uh, in 2020. ESG was referenced about 500 times in earnings calls. Um, this is inclusive of DEI, which is diversity, equ- equity, invo- in, uh, inclusion, sustainability, et cetera. That start in 2020 was at 500 uh, appearances in earnings calls, corporate earnings calls. It got up to 1,000 at the, at the beginning of 2022. Uh, and then now it's back to about 500. So that seems to be tailing off. There's obviously some ramifications just from, and, and I'm sure everybody's seen this, related to um, this these sort of uh, ideologies come causing major marketing issues, i.e., Bud Light. But this this is there's an article in the Wall Street Journal about the share of beer sales in U.S. retail stores. Uh, Bud Light was the the king of all beers essentially in the United States in January of 2023. Uh, it was had an 11% market share. They subsequently, their their head of U, U.S. marketing um, got involved with trying to propose some issues that weren't really 
popular amongst the, the brand, which I'm not going to go into in detail here. Um, but now Bud Light went from an 11% market share to 7%. And interestingly enough, I, this, I would never have thought this, the, the number one beer in the United States now is Modelo Especial. Can you believe yeah, that? I, I know. I saw that. I couldn't believe it. But I, I've been buying a bunch of Modelo, not thinking, you know, not trying to do anything other than buy good beer. And I actually think it tastes great. So I'm it not, is delicious. I'm not, I agree. Su- I'm not surprised that it's uh, uh, people like it, but I'm definitely, I thought it was, I thought it was being a little bit more uh, unique in my taste by buying those, you know, gold top Modelo uh, bottles. And it turns out everybody else <laughs> right. is drinking it. I'm a, I'm, right. Yeah. I'm a conformist. Right. Yeah. You're like, you're unique, just like everybody else. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I, 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 I also don't like the other beers, the other, obviously Coors Light and Miller Light have gotten, um, some, gained some ground as a result of the they trials. All, they're all the same. They all just taste like the same. It's all white bread. Yeah. The switching costs are so low amongst Bud Light, Miller Light and Coors Light. And so you've got somebody that has, um, you know, that doesn't want to get be seen drinking a Bud Light, it's easy, easy for them to switch to Miller or Coors without any sort of ramifications. So it tastes all the same. Right. So w- with that, um, we're gonna, I want to shift gears and just mention a couple things related to pop culture that I found interesting. Uh, this week was the 42nd anniversary of Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones, which I can't believe how old it is, but I actually re- recently rewatched all the Indiana Jones shows. If, if you have uh, Paramount Plus, they're available on there, and I highly recommend. I think Disney uh, Plus, too. They're on Disney Plus, too? Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, they're awesome. Uh, it's, I can't believe that movie's been around for that long. Uh, it's, it's it's one of my favorites. Um, that partic- I, I actually like The Last Crusade better, but that's an, it's that particular anniversary popped up on my Twitter feed, and I thought I would mention it just because if you're in the mood for watching a classic um, but what's your favorite Indiana Jones, Doug? Last Crusade, absolutely. Last Crusade, yeah. Sean Connery. Um, right. I, I, I do think it's funny that uh, Harrison Ford. They just they just released another indie, didn't they? They're um, supposed to, or they're going to soon, which is great. Yeah, but he's like eighty three or something like that. Can you believe that? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I'm I'm interested. I, I didn't see the last one. I, it, the reviews were so bad that I didn't want to ruin my. My childhood. Uh, I watched it in the theaters. It was with uh, Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. And, yeah. and like it was like 15 years ago or something like that. Um, but yeah. So anyway, the great classic movies from our childhood. Uh, and like I said, I just wanted to share it with everybody. Encourage everybody to go on there. Um, their Disney Plus or Paramount Plus and check it out while you can. All right. Well, thank you for listening. And, and give us a five-star review and share with your friends. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com.
The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.